yeast in your bellies? All right, well, it's good to be with you all today. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship. And those of you who are joining us online, we are really glad that you are here today. As we continue on in our series that we've gone through the last number of weeks, we're calling it Riding the Waves. How many of y'all enjoyed our trek through Riding the Waves? I hope that you guys are getting some stuff out of this. Yeah, y'all can clap about that. It's amazing hearing some of the stories that you guys coming up to me after service or sending messages, just saying how different one of these emotions that we've been tackling has really ministered to you. And I'm really blessed by that because that means that we're tracking with God and just uh, really believe that God's word is having an impact. So just to give you an idea of where we've been, so this whole series of Riding the Waves has been based upon the fact that God created us as emotional beings. And as emotional beings, expressing emotions is not necessarily a bad thing. But what can happen is that we can either ride those emotions like a wave or a current, or we can crash under them. And so we've been looking at biblical ways to respond to these emotions that God has given us. So week one, we looked at the emotion of fear. And we explored that through the story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. And we saw how that they, Jairus was fearing that his daughter was going to die, and she actually dies during the story. And then this woman who had been suffering with this blood issue for 12 years, and just all the fear that was encapsulated in that. In week two, we did a character study on a person in the Bible who I think encapsulates the idea of regret. And we looked at the story of the Apostle Peter through three acts. We looked at Peter's pride. We looked at Peter's... Um, the way that he regretted his decision in denying Jesus three times as it was prophesied that he would do. And then we looked at Peter's repentance as Jesus, after his resurrection, he jumps out into the water to meet him. And then Jesus restores him as they're sitting around a campfire eating some fish and talking about feeding my sheep and loving my sheep. Last week, we looked at the emotion of depression by walking through Psalm 42. We did a systematic walk through Psalm 42, and we saw four ways we could respond to depression. Number one is we could thirst for God. Number two is that we are honest with our emotions. I love how the psalmist says in this passage that literally his tears have filled his pillow. And there's some very raw emotion of what goes on as he expresses that in the psalm. We preach to ourselves. He says, why is my soul so downcast? And he says, soul, he speaks to himself. He tells his soul to be uplifted. I will remember God in his faithfulness. And then we also remember God's faithfulness. So our one true statement from last week is that hope is our greatest weapon in winning the battle against depression. Hope is our greatest weapon in winning the battle against depression. So today we are going to look at the emotion of worry. And worry is actually an emotion that is very closely knitted to the idea of fear. Usually these two things kind of work in tandem together. They usually come as a pair, and they come as a pair in a very inopportune time most of the times when these two things come together. But let's start by defining the word to make sure we're all working with the same dictionary. So when I am utilizing the word worry today, then the word worry means this. Worry is excessive concern over the affairs of life. Worry is excessive concern over the affairs of life. The word excessive is purposely put there, and that's what I really want to get at. Because even in this, the passage we're going to explore today, Paul knows when he writes, and Jesus definitely knows that we will experience worry. But the matter is, is that how are we going to respond to that worry when we experience it, or is it going to be overly excessive to where it becomes this thing where we are so consumed, we can't think about anything else, and it leads to uncertainty and it leads to fear. So worry is excessive concern over the affairs of life. 
Let me start by giving you a little sermon illustration. So I heard a story one time about a woman who kept something called a worry box. And I didn't even know this was a thing. Apparently this is a thing. You can actually Google this, and they actually make it where you can purchase a worry box that has these little cards that you can fill out. But apparently this is a thing. So this woman, she kept a, a box in her kitchen called this worry box. Every time something troubled her, what she would do is she would write it down on a piece of paper, she would fold it, and she would put it into the box. So once she put it into the box, she resolved not to think about that particular issue, and it was basically like she was releasing that issue as she put it in the box. So she would not think about her problems as long as they were there. This enabled the woman to put her troubles completely out of her mind, because she knew they could be dealt with later. So then eventually, sometime down the line, she would come back to that box, and occasionally she would grab a slip of paper out of that box and review the concern that she had written on it. Because she had not been drained by anxiety that whole entire time, she reflected and she was better able at times to find resolution to her problems. And sometimes she actually opened up the piece of paper and the problem had already resolved itself, or whatever the case may be. Now, that being said, it's really good idea potentially to write your worries on paper by kind of releasing them and putting them into a box may be helpful. But how much better is it for you and I to release our, our worries and put them in the place where they need to be in the hands of God? So listen, all state may say you're in good hands, but there ain't no better hands to put your worries in than to put your worries in the hands of God. He is the good hands in that way. So when we release our worries to him, we release our cares, our concerns to him, we bring those to him, we are able to release those and allow God to move. And it redirects our focus a little bit. Here's the one truth I want to give you this morning, is that Here's the problem with worry. Worry misdirects our focus and robs us of God's peace. Let me say that again. Worry misdirects our focus and it robs us of God's peace. That's what it does. It makes whatever the circumstances, whatever the thing that we are worrying about becomes the whole level of our focus and it robs us of this peace that we can receive from God that God wants to give us. And I'm going to share with you today that this peace comes from God and it's in spite of our circumstances. It doesn't mean that our circumstances will change, yet we still can have some peace in the midst of it. How many of y'all think we could utilize a little peace? Y'all need a little peace in your life? I can utilize some peace in my life as well. Peace that comes from God, all right? So our text this morning is going to be found in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. A very familiar passage of scripture, but if you have your Bible electronic device, whatever you want to open to, or it will be on the screen, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And what I want to show you this morning is four things related to worry from these verses. Four things related to worry from these verses. Now, just to set the context, since we're jumping into the middle of a chapter, is that Philippians chapter 4, as Paul typically does when he closes out a letter, is really just a chapter of exhortation. It's Paul exhorting uh, these believers, he's giving them kind of final words, he's going to pray for them, and it's just a series of different exhortations that he's giving them and things that he's giving them to encourage them, and he's encouraging them, and then he's praying for them at the end of chapter 4. So when we jump in, we jump into this sequence of him just encouraging them with some, some words that he wants them to be able to walk out, kind of final thoughts that he's leaving them with. So let's start with verse 6. The first thing I want you to see about worry is what is the remedy to worry? The remedy to worry, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be be made known to God. 
Now the question comes out of this verse, if you read this verse, according to it, why, how many things should we worry about? What should we worry about? Nothing. Zero. Don't be anxious about anything, the apostles encouraging us. Anything. Well, Paul, that's real easy for you to say. Don't be worried about nothing. As he's writing this letter while he's in prison, by the way, that's real nice of you that, you know, you don't have to worry about nothing. How many of you would be honest and classify yourself and say that you tend to worry a little bit, that you're a worrier? Okay. Man, lots of hands going up in the room. Some of y'all worried about raising your hand right now. I don't know. Is that acceptable? Can I raise my hand? Should I not raise my hand? You know, so some of y'all worried about that. That's okay. But here's the thing, is that this is a very common emotion for all of us. And it's incredible that Paul says that in all things, in everything, basically, we're not supposed to be anxious. We're not supposed to worry. That sounds really good, and I believe that we, be we believe that. I believe that that's scriptural. I believe that that's a truth that God wants us to appropriate. I just know on this, walking on this earth, that that's a little hard to walk out sometimes. Okay? In, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, which kind of couple with what we just read. Listen to the words of Jesus, and these words are really challenging and also in many ways comforting as well. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 6, 25. And it says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about what? Your life. Important word. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food in the body more than clothing? So if you read this verse, there's one key word that pops out a number of times that I highlighted. Here's the word life. It appears a couple different times. When you see repetition in Scripture, that's usually an important thing. So what does Jesus mean when he says life? Do not worry about your life. The word in Greek that we translate in life, the best word that we could translate it in English, means your physical, emotional, and spiritual life. It's a comprehensive word for the totality of your being. So Jesus is saying all-encompassingly, he's saying do not be worried about your whole entire being. Don't be worried about emotionally, physically, spiritually, all that. All that represents you as a living human being. Don't worry about it. Now, that's some pretty challenging stuff for him to be able to say that. And in this statement, listen to what he says. He says, do not worry about your life for as what you will eat, what you will drink, that's provision, that's daily bread kind of stuff, right? Isn't that also what he tells us to pray for in Matthew during the Sermon on the Mount? Give us this day our daily bread, right? So he's saying food and drink, and then he also says what you're to put on, your clothing, and did you know that God promises his followers that he will meet the basic needs of our life? He never promises our wants or desires, but he does promise that he will meet our needs. He promises that he will meet the basic needs of life, food, clothing, and shelter. That's what God promises us. He promises us that he will meet those needs. We are also told in the Gospels that the sparrows do not have to worry about where they receive their food because as they, they don't sow, but, nor do they reap, but God provides for even them. How much more greater are you than they? Right? So God promises to meet the needs of his people, the totality of our life. There is no shortage of things that you and I as humans can worry about. But when our worry is focused on those realities, we lose sight of God when we worry about those things. Look back at Philippians 4, 6. Let me read it again. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, there's a few things that I want to break down in this passage. So worry becomes, what is the remedy to worry? What does he tell us to do instead of worrying? To pray. Well, pastor, that's the real easy, simple Christian answer to say, just pray about it. Well, he's not just saying pray about it, just like, okay, like off the cuff, just pray about it. He's using some very specific language that needs to be broken down because he's telling you something more than just saying, okay, just throw a blanket prayer on it, you know, uh, one-minute shotgun prayer, throwing it up to heaven. Prayer is the remedy. You know why? Because you know what prayer does? When we actually take time to pray, I'm talking about not popcorn shotgun prayers, but when we actually take time to pray, you know what prayer does? It quiets us. It allows us then to redirect our focus. Because when you are earnestly praying, it seems like everything else drowns out, right? You ever been at that place before when you're just with God and you're praying and all of a sudden it seems like two minutes becomes 15, becomes 30, because you are just, in some senses, you are just caught in that moment. And everything else melts away because your focus is completely on God. That's what prayer does. Prayer, when we're starting to communicate with him, what we're doing is we're redirecting our focus. We are casting our cares. He tells us to cast our cares and worries upon him. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we redirect our focus then to him. But this prayer isn't just common communication with God. He says that this prayer, he says, with all supplication. Some of your translations may say petition. Now, what does that word mean? It doesn't just mean throwing up words to God. It's actually praying with an earnestness. It means a sense of urgency. If I could say it this way, it's like begging God. It's like you're coming to God and you're laying it all out. With all prayer and with all supplication, you are just laying it all out before God as you pray. But then it talks about praying, as he says, with all supplication and with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the underlying attitude. We're coming into the Thanksgiving season. It's so interesting when you read prayers that are written in Scripture, they usually always begin with praise. They begin with Thanksgiving. Why? Because I think Thanksgiving positions our heart as humans who are a creature and he is creator to position ourselves where we need to be, to come humbly before him and to thank him for who he is. So Thanksgiving is the attitude that underlines everything. We are to be a thankful people even as we pray. Because you know what happens is worry and gratitude cannot coexist. If you are a person who is, a, who is directed and you are focused upon thanksgiving and your heart is full of praise toward God, those worries will start to melt away. Worry and gratitude do not coexist. Worry will either drive out your gratitude or gratitude will drive out your worry. Let me say that again. Worry will either drive out your gratitude or gratitude will drive out your worry. That's what will happen as we respond. And then it talks about make your requests known to God. Our request is the every day of prayer. It reflects specific things that we bring to God. So here's a principle for you, then I want to tell you a story real quick. Here's a principle that's really hard for us to be able to swallow. Is but in all sincerity, if we're honest, worry reflects a lack of trust in God. Worry reflects a lack of trust in God. Let me share with you a story. So I grew up in an urban inner city. 
So I grew up in a place called New Bedford, Massachusetts, the third largest city in Massachusetts, but it's very, very urban. Crime, drugs, murder, it always is in the top 10 of the United States of murder rate per capita. I mean, it just was, it's a very dark place, very ethnically diverse, but very dark place, very poor. And so I grew up in many senses as working poor. My mom always had enough to be able to put on the table, but there were times when my family was on welfare. It was very, I grew up in the projects, basically. I grew up living in apartment living kind of deal. Uh, my mom didn't get her first home until I was in high school, and it was a very, very small house, okay? And so I, I was used to kind of growing up in this sense of kind of like your urban kind of uh, context. That's why I thought, I thought that I was going to be the next greatest rapper. That's what, I, that's what I, that was my trajectory in life. I was like, okay, I'm going to get out the streets, and I'm going to be like the next greatest rapper. So that being said, is because I grew up in this way, it has always been a struggle for me to trust God when it comes to money. Because I've known what it means when the Apostle Paul says that I know what it means to have much and I know what it means to have lack. And because of that, I've always in myself taken it upon my own human strength at times to do things excessively in some ways to not experience lack again because I sure didn't like it. So... This is in some way, not only because my upbringing, it's not because my mom or anything like that, this is because my own baggage. I have transposed that in many ways toward God and I always think, is God going to provide for me? Sometimes this question is always in the back of my head and it shows and it reflects where I trust God the least. If I'm honest, I trust God the least when it comes to my money. That's not something you expected the pastor to say from the pulpit, right? But that's true. This is, this is, has, this has, throughout my time being a Christian, this has been one of my greatest struggles. Because I understand what it means to have lack. And if you were honest with me, and I could give you the opportunity to tell your story, where you worry most likely is in the area where you trust God the least. It's the same thing, whether it's your physical health, whether it's for your family, you worry about your family when you can't protect them, whether you worry about uh, it's a financial need for you when you know what it means to live paycheck by paycheck, whatever the case may be, but if you can, you can probably make a direct connection line between whatever that worry is and where you're experiencing a sense of anxiety and trusting God in that area. There's so many different things we could plug into that blank. For some of us, it's about your job. Some of it's, it's about retirement. For some of it, it's about your kids. But at the end of the day, we miss the fact that we are in God's hands. We're not in our own hands. If you are a person who's a believer in Jesus, God has got you in his hands. He is your provider. He's the one who will take care of you. He is the one who has made salvation possible for you. He is the one who's in relationship with you. He's the one who's promised he will meet your needs. He's got you in his hands. God wants you to tell him about your worries. Prayer allows us to release them, to release the weight, to not carry the weight of it, because these things will eat you alive if you do not release them to God. His hands are much bigger than yours. He's able to take care of you. He's able to take care of the situation. So the first thing, the first remedy for worry is prayer. The second thing is I want you to see what is the result of us if we actually do that. If we release these worries to God through prayer and this type of prayer with supplication, thanksgiving, making our requests known to God, what will result from it? Well, the result is that we will receive the peace of God. 
Verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the outworking, the results of us bringing these prayers to God is that we receive this peace, and it's a peace that comes from God. It's outside of us. So it's something that God gives. It's something we receive, okay? Now, Paul does not mention anything, nor does he envision in this situation. That doesn't mean that, okay, you receive peace from God because your situation changes and now everything's tiptoed through the tulips. Did you know that you can have peace with peace that comes from God even in the midst of life's most difficult scenarios and circumstances? Have you ever met people like that that just walk around and it's just like they have a sense of peace about them? That nothing can shake them, that they can actually go through like the roughest stuff in life and they have a smile on their face and they just know they love their Jesus and God is taking care of them and they walk with a sense of peace. You can have peace from God that is not predicated on your circumstance. If you have peace that's predicated on your circumstance, that's fleeting peace and that is not eternal peace. That is not peace that comes from God. It's something he wants to give to his people as believers. It's a gift that he gives to them. So there were two painters that entered into a contest, and the contest was this. We want you to paint a picture of what peace looks like. Okay. So painter number one paints a really serene kind of painting. Paint something with calm water. The sun's going down on calm water, beautiful sunset. So you see this pristine still water with this beautiful sunset that's reflecting upon the surface. He paints this very serene kind of picture you just want to find yourself into. Feels like you should be sitting on the beach as you look at it. It looks all very nice. It has a very calming effect. The second painter painted a picture of a storm. And in the storm, the sky was very dark, there was lightning, there was thunder, there was dark clouds. Just picture it in your mind, there's dark clouds, everything rolling overhead. There's waves crashing against rocks as water's being chopped up because of the wind. Everything in this picture seems chaotic. But in the small little bottom piece of this actual painting, there were two big stones. And in the middle of these two big stones, a bird had made its sanctuary, this little house. So the bird is being protected in some ways by these two stones. And this bird is in the middle of them, and he makes the bird as he's singing. The bird is singing in the midst of the storm. Everything's chaos around the storm, but the bird's inside the rock. And as he's inside the rock, the rock is protecting him in the midst of the storm. It doesn't matter the fact that the storm is going on outside, because inside he's protected. He's where he needs to be, so his song doesn't stop. His song does not stop. Because he's under the protection of the rock. Here's my point. You see what I'm trying to say. My point is, is that storms can be everywhere. Life is full of storms. But you know where peace is found? Peace is found where God's calm and his tranquility overrule your circumstance. That's where peace is found. Peace is found when you're in that place, like that bird, protected in the rock, and you are in the midst of there, and his peace, his calm comes over you, and that tranquility, and that's all over in the midst of all the storms and all the chaos that's around you. It reminds me of when David said in Psalm 23, he says that, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So it doesn't matter whether it's enemies attacking. It doesn't matter if it's a dark night of the soul. You can feast with God. And so he's there protecting the psalmist. And David reflects upon this. We can have peace from God in the midst of trying times because it comes from him. It's a gift given to you. I love how Paul says that this peace surpasses all comprehension. It surpasses knowledge. It does not make sense. On a human level, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how somebody can walk out of a hospital and have a cancer and terminal diagnosis and walk around and still, be peace, still have the peace of God. On a human level, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on a human level how somebody can experience something debilitating in their body and experience chronic pain and yet still walk around and smiling and loving Jesus. It doesn't make sense how somebody can walk or can lose their job, walk in today into their job tomorrow and not expect that no reason why you should think that you should get terminated. All of a sudden your job lays you off. You have no way to pay the bills this month and still be able to walk and experience the peace of God. You know, we're coming right to the holidays, and the holidays is a very big time for people to worry. Sometimes we worry about small, trivial things, about, oh, is the house going to look nice because the in-laws are coming? You know, or, but this time is very real worries for some people because they're worried, are they going to have enough to put food on the table? But in the midst of that, there can still be this sanctuary where God brings his peace. Because wherever he is, his peace follows. Paul is writing this letter in a Roman prison. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure that those accommodations were not exactly like the Ritz-Carlton. And so here he is writing this in a Roman prison, talking about peace, understanding what it means to experience trial. The last thing he says about peace, though, he says that this peace guards our hearts and minds. These are the two sources of worry, if you think about it. We worry because worry comes into our mind and it comes into our heart. So it's like that this peace that God has protects our minds and our hearts from worrying and from directing our focus away from God who keeps us in the midst of it. It guards our hearts and mind. Don't let worry rob you of peace by misdirecting your focus away from the God of peace. So we talked about prayer as the remedy for worry. We talked about the result that works out of that is that we receive peace, the peace of God. Now I want you to talk, now what I want to show you is that he's going to talk about reflecting. He's going to talk about having positive thoughts. We're going to talk about this, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are the things we're supposed to dwell about. So Paul is suggesting to us that as opposed to reflecting upon things that cause us to worry, these are the things that we need to reflect upon. This is not the power of positive thinking, by the way. Paul's not saying, okay, if I just have really, really good thoughts, then really, really good things are going to happen. That's not what he's saying. If I can liken it, let me say a different word. And it's a word that sometimes gets misappropriated, but it's a word that, we, that is very Christian. He's talking about meditating on these things. When we talk about meditating, we're not talking about like some Eastern concept of meditation where you sit and you chant and all of a sudden you're emptying your mind. What Paul has in mind here is that we sit, we dwell in our thoughts and thinking about these things which God thinks is good. We're, 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 we're making the time, we're making the space. 
to be able just to sit and to be able to reflect upon these things, they turn into praise because they're worthy of praise. All these things that God says are good. Because did you know that your thought life plays a big role into your emotions and your actions? So he's telling us to dwell. If you want to live right, we need to think right, and we often think in ways that are negative or ways that do not produce life. So we sit and we dwell upon things that are commendable, things that are worthy, things that are good, things that are lovely. All of these things that, and we can look at scripturally what some of these things are. And we reflect, we pause, we dwell, we stay in that space. And we're saying, God, we're allowing God to reform our minds. We're allowing him to renew our minds. That's what we're doing when we do that. When we're taking the time to do it. These are seven virtues that should characterize the Christian's thought life. We don't have time to break each one of them down, but Paul is telling us to change our thinking and to dwell on these things. Because when we couple right thinking with prayer, it will relieve worry and help us to then walk in this peace that God wants to give us in our hearts and in our minds. Again, this is not self-help stuff. This is saying dwell, meditate, spend time. Take a moment to connect with God in this way. Lastly, verse 9, is that we respond. And how do we respond? It's one thing if we thought good things, but we have to respond in action. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Oh, I should actually do them. It's a good idea. And the God of peace will be with you. There again is a reiteration almost of promise. So think upon these things, dwell upon them, Receive my peace, and I promise you act upon these things, I will give you my peace. Reflection has to be followed by positive action. We don't meditate on God and Christian virtues and good things as a meaning of abstraction or just these are good things to think about. They make me feel good. That's not what he's talking about. He's encouraging his readers to think with a purpose. True believers not only hear, but they actually put their hearing and faith into action. That's what James encourages us, right? James encourages us, I'll show you my faith by my works. He's not saying that I'm working for my faith. He's saying, but the things that I do as I outwork that, that is a demonstration that I not only hear and believe, but I actually live out this thing. We meditate till we understand and we act upon what we know. God's peace is promised to those who reside, to those who order their lives according to his will and follow his prescription. So worry comes, the rem so when worry comes, remedy, the remedy is prayer. And that prayer then results in receiving peace from God. And that peace that we receive from God, we can then couple that with reflecting upon, dwelling upon, sitting in that peace and being able to meditate on all the things that he considers to be good. Which results then in leading us to action to walk out this Christian life and to walk out in peace. So let's summarize this for you today, and then we're going to pray. So our one true statement today was this. Worry misdirects our focus and robs us of God's peace. Worry becomes this all-consuming reality. Remember, it's excessive, as I defined it. When we have excessive worry, you know, concern about the affairs of life, so when we're reflecting upon that and when it becomes excessive, it then just, it redirects our focus away from God. 
And in doing so, it's going to rob you of the very peace that God wants to give you. So I showed you four things in relationship to worry. The remedy, which is prayer. The result, which is peace from God. The reflection that we have, which is positive thoughts. And the way in which we respond, which is positive action. So how can we put this into practice today? Well, number one is that I would encourage you, not maybe necessarily to create a worry box, but if you want to do that, that's great. But just take down those things that you are worried about. You know what they are. Whether it's your kids, whether it's your finances, whether it's your health, whether it's a loved one, all of those things that we're worried about that are consuming our minds right now. I want you to take an opportunity this week and just write them down. And I want you to present them to God. Take an opportunity to do exactly what Paul is saying to you. With all prayer, be anxious for nothing. The moment when anxiety pops up in your mind, the moment when that is just that thought is coming up, take a moment right then and there and say, God, I'm releasing this to you. God, I'm releasing it to you. God, I'm releasing this to you. That's not trivial. You're doing exactly what Scripture prescribes of you to be able to do. You're casting your cares and your worries upon him. Okay? He invites you to do that. And the reason why he invites you to do that is because he knows you can't do this thing on your own human strength. Worry is a human reality, but it's something that God already knows that we're going to experience. That's why he's given us a way to be able to release that to him. And this is going to be a constant thing for your life, and it's going to come at you at times when you don't even recognize it, when you don't even know it. It's like, why am I worried about that? And sometimes when you're worried about that, what you're dwelling on is you've got to dwell upon the truth and reality of what really is real at that moment. Because if you're worried about your health, about a, a test that hasn't even come back yet, or because of something that's happened, the reality at that moment is, I don't have the results. I know that at this moment, I'm going to rest in you, God. I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to cast that worry upon you. It's a very real and honest thing for us to be able to do. I'm going to invite the uh, prayer partners to come forward. We're going to open up an opportunity for prayer. But some of you here today, under the sound of my voice, I don't know where you're at spiritually in your walk with Jesus. Some of you might be worried about what happens when I take my last breath this side of heaven. Am I right with God? And I want to tell you that in order to experience peace from God, we have to have first peace with God. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. So he came to this earth and he lived as a perfect life, as a human, to be able to die as the substitute for our sin. He was buried and then he rose again. And when he rose on the third day, he secured our salvation. And he, where he is now, he wants you to be. And in order for us to do that, we have to place our faith and trust in him. When we place our faith and trust in him, then we become new creations in Christ. The Bible says we are born again. And then we do not have to worry about where our attorney resides because our address has been changed. We know where we're going. So if that's you today, I, I pray that you would have one of these people be able to pray with you. If there's a worry or concern that's on your heart right now, then allow somebody to be able to pray with you. Let's release it to God together. Or if there's anything specific... When we close out these services, the prayer time is open to anything. We want to pray with you. This is an opportunity for us to love each other well in the midst of what's going on in life. So I'm going to ask you all to stand, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to worship. And the altar is open, so if you guys want to come forward during this song, we want to give you an opportunity to allow somebody to pray with you.
And those of you who are not going to, don't need prayer right now, praise God. Here's what I would encourage you to do. This is not spectator time, okay? This is a time for us to engage. Process what, you've been, what you have been processing through this, uh, this message and bring that to God in your own personal space. As if it was only you and God in this room, take it to prayer. Be able to worship. So the altar is open and we invite you to come. Let's worship together.
guys, well, let me go ahead and say our benediction over you, and then we're going to go ahead and release to go ahead and eat. Now that we've ate spiritually, now we're going to go eat physically, and we're going to go hang out and fellowship together. So let me go ahead and pray our benediction over you, and we'll go ahead and release. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. May he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. May our Father in heaven always grant to you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You are dismissed. Let's go eat. Mm. Mm.